Good morning, happy Sunday, and welcome to to the Tuga, the Everything Portuguese Soccer Podcast by the fans for the fans. I'm Kevin. That's Christian. That's Mitch, and uh, we're coming to you from three different locations. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Christian, loving the background, man. What's the jersey Thank behind you? you? Uh, that's a pot jersey. That's when we won the league. We wanted to get a pot jersey for the Grosalves. Oh yeah, that's good. And this is this is the certificate. Was when they made the new pavilion. Yeah. So that's why I put it in there. What a time to be alive. Love yeah. <laughs> Mitch, how's it going? Good, guys. Good. Excited to be here. Excellent. Well, uh, I think, Mitch, last week you were the only one that said Braga was going to beat Sporting. And uh, you were right. Because I'm the only uh, one with Juiz, man. <laughs> you got a lot of uh, Get was... out of here. <laughs> it was disappointing loss for Sporting. They blew a one nothing lead. They lost two to one. Uh, are there hopes of a repeat over? I mean, if Porto wins today, they'll be six points back. Is it? Is this season over for Sporting? Well, man, it, it pretty much becomes a, a must-win game at, at the Vergão for Sporting. We're going to be playing them in a few weeks. That's a must-win game. If we win that game, we're three points back. It's all up in the air. If we uh, lose that game, yeah, I think you might as well hand in the title, <laughs> in my opinion. It's, it's going to get tough, man. Uh, Sporting lost, so we're we're about halfway through the year. Sporting's lost more games this year than they did last year. So there, there's, you know, it's it's not a good uh, it's not a good situation for uh, for Sporting to be in. Um, and like Christian says, against against Port. Uh, if they lose that game, if they drop points in that game, that I think it does become a must win. But I think every game from here on out becomes a must win. It's not just the game against Port. Uh, Ruben Amorim said in his in his press conference yesterday that he felt that the the game against Bolnis was more of a must win than the game against uh, against Port because it it, it really becomes uh, a zero sum game at this at this point in time. They cannot lose points, especially if Port continue on the form that they have been. So. Um, yeah, it's. It, I think you know. At the beginning of this season, we talked a lot about um, a little bit of a skinny squad that Sporting was going into this this campeonat with, and I think it's starting to creep up on them. And I think already in the game against Santa Clara, we saw uh, a lackluster Sporting. Just just fitness levels weren't there. The intensity levels weren't there. Um, and and yesterday it wasn't wasn't so much the intensity, but but just silly mistakes. I think Christian will probably agree with me. Just just really really silly mistakes that uh, that cost Sporting the game. And and you know, uh, is that mental fatigue? Is that uh, you know what that is? Uh, I don't know, but uh, but they got to figure it out. So Ruben uh, Amoni um, said something in the press conference that I totally agreed with, and uh, he has this rep of just calling it out how it is. He, he usually doesn't, uh, you know, sugarcoat things. He just says it as it is. And one thing he said that I totally agree with is, I believe that we're playing better than last year. Although we lost uh, twice, and last year we lost once after already clinching the league. So we pretty much won the league without a single loss. But I totally agree with him. We, we, we're playing better than last year. It's just the small, minute details that they're missing. Like, we, if anybody that watched that game, would know that you know we we dominated them and if there was one team that you know should have won uh would have been us we had chances galore but i i think our our main issue right now and it's it's not huge uh is our striker position we have zero depth we have paul Ligno there 
and uh, he has sort of a different role. He's we we use him more, almost like a Liverpool, how they use uh, Firmino. He's not really a, a goal scorer. He's more there to hold the ball and distribute the pot or distribute the Sarabe. That's why if you look at most of our goals, it goes through there. But when it comes to those clutch goals, those last second goals that when we need a goal, he always misses. He's not clutch enough. He's burned so many chances. Even going back against Santa Clara, he had an opportunity right in front of the net, misses it. Uh, so it's just little minute details. I think Sporting needs to go to market. They're after uh, Marcus Edwards, but in my personal opinion, uh, we don't really need a winger as much as we need a, another striker because I don't think TT is ready yet. Tiak uh, Tamash, he's very young. He he hasn't been really scoring. He hasn't grasped that position yet. So I, I feel like we just need to fill in a few holes. But what Sporting is struggling with, we're we're still people got to remember that we're still rebuilding, so to speak. You know, we overachieved last year. Nobody would have thought. Uh, even the most diehard sporting fan would have thought we would have won the, the league last year. So we're still in that growing phase, and we're having growing pains. Like, if you watch that game, and Nassiu, Vasali Nassiu, made three horrendous mistakes. Horrendous. And the last one, we paid for it, man. It was a, it was a really bad giveaway late in the game. And, you know, good on Braga. They finished it. But it's just those little small details that are that sporting are missing. But these are growing pains, man. They're going to they're gonna grow from this. Uh, they're going to learn from this and hopefully get better. Would you say that was Gonzalo Inacio's worst game that you've seen him play? Yes. It, you know what? It's it's ironic because he is young. He's very young. Everybody knows that. But he never played like he is young. He he never really makes mistakes. He was super, super, super solid and reliable. But you know what? Yesterday, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because he got a, a red last year against Braga that almost cost us the league, that he was a little bit more nervous. I don't know if that was weighing on his mind, but he that was literally his worst game. He was giving away passes. Uh, crazy. But it, it wasn't defensive mistakes where uh, he misses a guy or a guy comes in behind. It was just when he has the ball on his feet, that, pat, that last pass, he would give it away. He gave it away three times. Yeah. <clears throat> so he did look his age yesterday. But you know what? I think he's going to learn from this, and uh, hopefully he grows from it. When you talk about uh, their, their lack of depth in the striker role, man, I don't know why Sporting, out of out of all the, the big three right now, everybody should be looking at them. But Sporting, I think, is the one that needs uh, a striker the most. I don't know why Sporting is not looking like a, at a guy like Fran Navarro from Gil yeah. Vicente. Yeah. Like, he's a pure number nine. He scored 11 goals. He's number two in the scoring right now. Uh, Spanish striker, like, could probably pick him up for a decent price. And I mean, I don't know why Sporting's not looking at a guy. I think everybody, all the big three, should be looking at him because he is a very good player. But I don't know why Sporting isn't looking at a guy like Fran to come in now at the at, at midway point to, to to try and add some depth to that role. Yeah, I'm totally with you. But with uh, Sporting and their striker role, they need a, a unique kind of striker. So if you you guys pretty much seen uh, how Sporting play, uh, they play more off the wings. Like I mentioned earlier, Paulinho is more of a Firmino kind of striker. So they strive with a, uh, a striker that can hold the ball and play for the team, so to speak. Uh, so they, they would need a specific kind of striker. Almost like uh, Harry Kane, obviously, he's class, class above, but that kind of style of player. Maybe that's why uh, he's not really under our radar. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that being said, uh, I, would, I would love that, that player on our team. I don't think we need another player like Paulinho. I think we'll need a guy that to come in off the bench 
and you know score a big goal instead of like Kawhi running up all the time. Yeah, Kawhi is almost more of a a substitute <laughs> for for Pauline than than Tomas Tavares. Oh, 100%. And, he, and you know what? Fair play to him. Uh, he did good in that role last year, but that's only going to take you so far. Uh, I remember Mitch earlier on the, in the year, he mentioned that uh, we, we, we had a crazy amount of points in the last 10 minutes of the game last year. You know, and when, when you're doing that, you're playing with fire because you're eventually that, that Stralinha, what, like, like they say in Portugal, is going to wear out. You're not going to get that last second heroic goal every single time. So, yeah. But you know what? The, the thing with sporting's in this unique situation because they're, they're trying to do strategic buys. We don't have money to be, you know, uh, buying, like filling up all our little spots. So what Hubenamboni wants to do, he wants to have two players for each position so he can grow the youth. So it, it works for some things, but, you know, games like these last few games, you, you get burned for it sometimes. Did you uh, did you listen to uh, Varanda's uh, interview? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I I'd like to get your thoughts on on that. Uh, well, the main thing that stood out. He said a lot of things, but the main thing that, that stood out was uh, when he was his whole uh, rivalry with Pinta Costa. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he uh, was pretty much saying that you know Portugal is behind. He's like almost like a third world country when it comes to. Uh, to disciplining teams, uh, so yeah, that, that, that was his main thing that I, that I took out of it. Uh, he brought up like back in 2002, 2003, when you know Pinta Costa was bribing referees, giving them uh, I don't know if I'm not saying this on air, but you know, prostitutes and, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, he brought that up. And putish, you know man, putish. Putish. yeah, we'll go, putish. <laughs> he's, bring, he's buying them putas and giving them money. And, Everybody knows the scandal, so yeah, there was that was the main thing I took out of that. So, uh, quick updates here, uh, looking at the scores around the Liga Portugal Maritimo and uh, B Sad tied 1 1 in the 74th minute. Isturil blew a 1 0 lead, they're down 2 1 to Vitória de Guimarães. So, Vitória de Guimarães will be tied for fifth in, um, in the standings here if this result uh, holds firm. Uh, Mitch, Benfica, 2-0 win this week. Uh, how did that look? Not convincing. <laughs> they have three points back of Sporting now. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I unfortunately didn't get to watch the, the full game. I just got to see some uh, some of the extended highlights. But uh, I was able to talk to some some people that watched the game and, and – uh, and here's some commentary on it and just just uh, another unconvincing uh, kind of performance. Um, you know, I think uh, there was a, there was an article in Abuela, um this morning just talking about how Rafa is kind of falling out of favor with uh, with the new coach, Nelson Barissim, uh, and how, you know, he's been he's been subpar in terms of form. Um, you know, since uh, since Nelson's come on, but but I don't think it's it's uh, you know I think they're kind of singling out one of our one of our best players, trying to kind of put the blame on on him. I don't I don't think this is a problem uh, with Rafa. I, I think it's it's a team that's in transition, man, and uh, we're we're still transitioning to 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 the new coach's ideas and and trying to find our identity as a team. Uh, you know, you go from from being coached by such a big personality like a, a George Zouz who who really you know is is uh, tries to um, you know instill a, a strong mentality with a team and has a very specific style and, and approach um, to to a guy like Nelson Verissimo who I'll be honest I don't know a whole lot about I, he, he coached the B team but 
but uh, we're still we're still all getting to know uh, Nelson and 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 what, <coughs> uh, what his ideas are. Um, so I think it's a team very much in in transition right now. But but we got to get our shit together, man, because we have a big game against Ajax coming up. And if we don't smarten up, we're going to get smacked around that field like a bunch of little kids. Like it's it's going to be bad. So we have well, to get I, our I, shit together. I, I don't. I, I don't. I think if you're thinking that Benfica stands a chance against Ajax, I think you even you're the one that's dreaming right now. I think they're going to get smacked <laughs> around regardless of what happens. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a sporting <clears throat> fan. I just think Ajax is a really solid team, and Benfica has just been. Well, they've been shit all year. You, you know what, though? That's the beauty of soccer. Uh, you know what? Like, I think yeah, sucks. I agree. That is beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. But uh, you know what? It's like the term in football any given Sunday, right? And it, it never anything can happen. They could go in there and they can get a, they can squeak a result. Like, look at them against Barcelona. And uh, I think Mitch can even agree to this next point I'm about to bring up. Bifica has to be one of the most unpredictable teams I've ever seen. And that's. You know, I'm not saying that lightly. They uh, they go out and they beat uh, Braga 6-1, and then they go and lose 3-1 to, to Sporting the next game. And then they go and get a good result, and then they, they play bad the next game. They're just a very inconsistent team. Uh, so anything can happen, man. Like, when, when, to be honest, when I seen them play against Barcelona, I know this was a little bit back. This is still under the JJ reign. But I was like, man, Bifica look great. They look dangerous. So, I mean, anything can happen, man. And uh, you know what? Momentum can like, teams go through phases. Sometimes, like Sporting's going through a bad phase. Earlier on in the year, they were top, you know, and Porto's top right now, and they might slowly trickle down. So you don't know. And and not to mention, we we live in a COVID era. So you know, what if what if Ajax, you know, gets the, the bug, and most of their players are out? Like, there's always a chance. Right? There's a, there's yeah, and that's that's a really good point. And speaking of that, Stephen Ustakio has tested positive for COVID nineteen, so he will miss Canada's. Uh, Next three World Cup qualifying games, Canada will also be wow. without Alfonso Davies as well. So uh, Canada definitely feeling the hurt right now. Um, obviously, they got off to a great start in their World Cup qualifying. So hopefully they'll be able to capitalize on that. But uh, suddenly, you know, we all went from, yeah, it'll be the first time qualifying since 1986 to, well, fingers crossed that they qualify. I still think they will. Maybe... I still think they will, but I mean, these three games are going to be very uh, interesting to tell. They've got the U.S. Uh, in Hamilton, and then they'll be going to El Salvador and Honduras, so that will be very difficult for them. Speaking of Steven Stakiu, uh, he has joined FC Porto on uh, on a loan with an option for a purchase. I mean, pretty good move for Stakiu, and I think that's a good pickup by Porto. Yeah, we we talked about him uh, a little bit last week. He's he's a wicked wicked player, and it's just going to add to. They're pooling talent already. Uh, like we mentioned last time, uh, we we don't know if we'll crack the lineup, but having Steven Ishtaku on your team is is always a bonus. I, honestly, I, I was talking about this guy last year because he was also linked with Sporting, and I would love to have him. And, and like again, watching him live, he, you could just tell he's a special, special player and a big player for Canada. Uh, him being out of our lineup with Alfonso Davies makes it that much harder. It goes back to my point where I said about Ajax Pifika. Something like this happens, you know, anything could happen. But, you know, good for him. He deserves it. He's been playing really well, and I wish him nothing but the best. I'm glad it's a loan deal, though. Um, yeah. I would hate to him for him to go there permanently and, and not find his, his footing and, and end up on the bench and yeah. waste waste one or two seasons before he finds his way out of that team again. But that's that's that seems to be a, a, the big problem with a lot of 
some of these young players, right? They they see that that big team opportunity, that chance to go and and you know it's a dream come true to join one of the big three in Portugal or big teams in other countries. But then they get there and they're riding the pine. And that's <coughs> not really going to help them in their development, and that's not going to be good for them whatsoever. You know, you look at uh, um, uh, what's his face, a uh, former Liverpool guy, and um, uh, then he went to Spain. Um, uh, it was a Philip Coutinho, you know, where he, you Coutinho. know, he was, yeah. you know, he coming back to the Premier League was the best thing that could have happened to him, you know. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to weigh your options and figure. I mean, Ricardo Quaresma is another perfect example, you know. And and but anyways, the list goes on and on. Speaking of that, look, check out the back boys, vintage Quaresma. Jersey, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. I wanted to All add right. something if I, if I could. Go for it. Absolutely. There was some huge uh, news that broke out a couple of days ago that uh, Rafael Leon is going to have to pay Sporting $16.5 uh, million. Uh, so I just wanted to get your, your guys' opinion on that and what you guys think about that. Well, I know you're happy about that. You've been <laughs> complaining about it for the last two or three years since. That's that's since it all money, money, man. We could pay him. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, no, I mean, if if it's legit, um, obviously this goes to the the way that Rafael Leon left left Sporting after the whole the whole attack at the academy. There was a lot of players who who broke their contracts with with Sporting, um, and and agents were trying to find clauses. Um, in in the contracts to allow the players to to kind of leave without without um, a, a full transfer fee uh, to Sporting, and um, and you know all jokes aside because I've 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 busted balls with with a lot of uh, my Sporting Eastiff friends uh, you know about about all that and and all of the the talent that left that team, um, but uh, in all in all reality it's it's good that Sporting is getting compensated because uh, if it wasn't legit which they found. Um, they found that it wasn't, um, you know, the, the way that he left, then sporting should be, should be fairly compensated. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. So, um, so, you know, obviously it's a big hit, a, a big financial hit for him, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Like people, I know people have mixed emotions about this, but you got to remember sporting, you know, they, they are not a Real Madrid or, or a Man United or these teams that have endless pools of money. These sporting is a team that relies on uh, growing players, uh, breeding them, growing them up, teaching them skills, or bringing in investments and then reselling. So what happened during that attack is pretty much all our investments, all our young prodigies, are the big players. They left for nothing. And sporting almost, as you guys know the story, I don't have to tell you the, the whole shebang, but pretty much went bankrupt. Like we we're still suffering from it, and. It, People have mixed emotions, but I, I find it a little bit greedy that these players, uh, some some more than not, so some more than others, I should say, uh, left for nothing, and the team didn't get compensated for you know growing them, feeding them in their academy, giving them all the best coaches, all these best things, and just be out of greed. A lot of them are the agents that you know fill these these players' heads in, saying, "Oh, well, you could technically leave because they technically." Your contract is void. Go sign for AC Milan and make double the money. 
And you know what? It it, it burned Rafael Leon bad because, you know, and he was sort of greedy because he wasn't even there during the attacks. Uh, I might be butching this a little bit, but pretty much from what I'm hearing, he pretty much told Sporting that he was going to play. And then behind the scenes, he went and, you know, pulled a fast one. And so here's a question what? from Rich. Does he deserve a call-up versus Turkey? 100%. Well, he's got to pay sixteen point five million, man. Of course, he deserves. It. <laughs> he's got to work. Got to pay man. to play, huh? <laughs> no, the guy's in. Richie's right. The guy's been in in spectacular form. I've talked about him lots on the podcast. Uh, he's he's in, in great form. Uh, um, you know, the AC Milan coach the other day compared him to to Thierry Henry. Like he he is in great form. He's playing alongside Zlatan. I mean, you know, the the kid the kid is great. Um, you know, and you got to remember too, like, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are being harsh on, on Leon. You got to remember, you know, he was what, 18 years old when he left yeah. 18, yeah. 19, when he left Sporting. you got to, you got to remember how, how much influence a player at that age has, uh, from, um, or how much they're influenced by their agents and their managers, you know, to make certain moves, you know, and, and nobody will remember this better than, than Christian. You remember when Bruma left Sporting? And the way that he left Sporting, yeah. um, you know, he was he got shit on by everybody. We got to remember at this, uh, it's it's a very similar situation. Bruma was also eighteen, and and his his agent, uh, I think, was hungry for for cash. And you got to remember, like these kids, a lot of them, you know, grew up very poor. You know, when you start talking about this kind of money with these kids, you know, they they they, they can't they can't you know, the, the concept of managing that kind of money and, and, you know, they have to be very careful who they surround themselves with. And you gotta, you gotta imagine a kid like Leon at the time, you know, who was given an opportunity to, to leave a sport thing and go sign a big contract with a big club. Um, the way that it all happened, you know, you gotta, you gotta think about how much motivation and how much influence, you know, the, the manager and the, and the agent had on, on, on the player's decision. So I don't want to, you know, shit all over Leon for, for that, um, you know, all that aside, he's he's a wicked, wicked player that's going to bring a ton of excitement to 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 the Celeste, I think. And I think we need a player like that right now in the Celeste. He is yeah, so fast and he is so deceivingly fast because the guy looks so slow. Like he's got this swagger about him when he plays. Like he's just so nonchalant and, and you, you almost think he, he's lazy. But then all of a sudden he's got these long legs and, and it honestly doesn't look like he's going fast. But you can see the guy beside him is sprinting, sprinting like crazy, and he can't catch up with him. But he's got these long legs, these long strides, and he's always playing with a smile on his face, man. Like he, he's a great little player, man. I I, I love Leon. Um, all that all that other bullshit aside, I'm excited to see him, and I think he should get a call up to to the Slesson, and I think he should get some playing time because I think we need him right now in the Slesson. Christian, this one's for you, buddy. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> don't know this. A lot of people don't know this, and this is. You know, it's a good thing I'm wearing this jersey as proof. But when uh, when Cristiano Ronaldo and Quaresma first came up, Quaresma uh, was you know seen as the prodigy over Ron. A lot of not a lot of people were talking about Ron, although he was a year younger, a couple years younger. He was the main guy. He was the guy that uh, you know was the next superstar. And you know, we all know how his career ended. But yeah, it was definitely a, a buddy. I time. I will never forget. I was watching. Ricardo Quaresma's first game for Barcelona. It was during a, a tournament in the States against AC Milan. And at the time, everybody was talking about um, Ronaldinho because he had just joined Barcelona at the same time. 
uh, from PSG. And everybody was talking about Ronaldinho, Ronaldinho. And all of a sudden, this kid jumps onto the field, Ricardo Quaresma, and he takes a ball down on his chest, puts it around Cafu like he was a like he was a, a, a little kid in a park and, and bangs it home. And everybody's like, who the hell is this kid? He was doing Rabonas all over the field. Ronaldinho, who? It was unbelievable. <laughs> it, and, and to think of a kid like that at that time, outshining Ronaldinho, who we all know, you know, how amazing Ronaldinho is, arguably one of the greatest players ever for, for just his pure skill. Um, to think that at that time already, Quaresma was outshining a guy like Ronaldinho on, on that day anyway. Um, it just shows you the, the, the potential that that uh, that he had. And, and a lot uh, of people I, think... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Christian. I was just going to add, uh, a lot of people have this misconception that when Quaresma went to, uh, to Barcelona that he... He wasn't doing good, or he, he didn't pan out. It wasn't good enough. That's not what happened, man. And if that, that those who follow him closely knew that he actually played really well, was crazy on the field. But what killed him is, you know, his personality. He would fight with people in the locker room. He got there was this major incident with him and Car- Carlos Puyo, where they got they, they were scrapping in the in the change room. So. That, that's what sort of hindered his career was, you know, his inability to be coached, so to speak. And he, he, uh, rebounded, yeah, he rebounded towards the end, right? Like he rebounded yeah. like, what would you say, about 2010, 20? No, probably a little bit later than that, probably about 2014-ish. He rebounded when he, when he went back to Port. When yeah. he went back to Port is when he rebounded. That's when he really found his form again. And it, it, it just comes down to, like Christian said, he couldn't be coached. So... Uh, when he went back to Port, I, I can't remember if it was who the coach was when he went back. Uh, but at the time, I, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was Joalt Freire. I think it was Joalt Freire that, that just knew that to get the best out of Quaresma, you got to just let him let him do his thing, man. And, and that's and that's what happened. And you can't you can't try and coach him. He's got to be the center of attention on the team. He's got to be the, the focal point. And he, he's got to give he's got to be given a, a role that he can just kind of do what he wants. And you can't really tell him what to do and he'll shine. And, you know, I think Mourinho found out the hard way when he when he forced Inter to splash all that cash. On Quaresma, because I think Mourinho said, you know, under under me, I can make this kid, I can make this kid a superstar, <clears throat> and uh, we all kind of know what happened, uh, what happened there. You know, he ended up getting relegated down to the down to the reserves, and uh, you know, booed off the field multiple times, and, and it just he can't be coached, man. He can't be coached, and and I think he he gave an interview shortly after we won the the Euro, and he kind of talked about how how he he sabotaged his own career in a lot of ways because of his yeah. attitude. And I think he just kind of figured, you know, he was better than any, everybody and he didn't need to listen to anybody because, you know, what he could do with the ball at his feet. But but I think we all know it uh, in, in football it doesn't come down to just pure raw talent. It comes down to coachability and, and, and work rate and all those things factor into it. So uh, and he was he went back in 2013 to 15 to FC Porto. Paulo Fonseca was the uh, manager in that first spell. Uh, Luis Castro came in for about 16 games, and then uh, um, the Spaniard coach there, uh, I don't know, Julian, his last, uh, Julian Lopetegui. Lopetegui, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, and, and you're right, Rich just said here, and it's a really good point. He showed up for Porto in Euro 2016, the rest of his career was questionable. You know, you're right, you're not wrong. Uh, there's no denying he had a lot of talent. 
I do think that he's one of those guys where, like, look at Cristiano Ronaldo. Where would Cristiano Ronaldo be without Sir Alex Ferguson? Right? Sir Alex See, is the one that grounded him. Sir Alex is the one that took that childish, constantly flopping around. I mean, he still flops around, but a lot of uh, that stuff, he's the one that kind of kicked it out of him and kind of showed him that if you're going to be a star, if you're going to make it big in this sport, this is what you got to do. He became that father figure to him and a mentor and really helped him along the way. And Ricardo Quaresma never had that. Yeah, and then, and with Ronaldo, he he's the kind of person that would could be molded by Sir Alex Ferguson. I don't think Quaresma could have been molded by Sir Alex Ferguson. One thing you know about Ronaldo yeah. is that he, he had that work ethic instilled into his his brain. You almost got to be to be that good, whether you're vocal about it or not. You got to be super narcissistic in a way. Some people don't say it out loud. Maybe on the outside, they'll they'll be a little bit more humble. But in your head, you got to be like, I'm the greatest. I want to be the best. Nobody's better than me. And uh, I think Ronaldo had that yeah. at a young age. If you if you listen to his coaches or what he was doing when he was younger, he 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 would tell his teammates, he would tell his teacher when he was a little kid that he, I'm going to be the best player in the world. So he he also had that kind of mentality where a guy like Sir Alex Ferguson can come in, mentor him teach him, guide him, tell him his flaws, and he'll work at it. Whereas Quaresma did not have that. He had more of a mentality as, who are you to tell me what to do? Well, so on and so forth. So that's, uh, that's quick, my opinion on it. Quick update. Vitoria Gimaraes takes the 3-1 win over Istoril. Uh Again, three unanswered goals there. And Maritimo and Bulnish tied at one in uh, the 90th minute. So I assume Yo, that will likely stay the we'll case. Add on to that. Speaking of Quaresma, uh I think it was last game or a couple games ago. Uh, they had a bad result. Uh, I don't know if you remember who was against Mitch. It slipped in my memory now, but the fans were really, really, really upset. And, and he got in with it. He got into it with them. Yeah, yeah. And him being from the, you know, the rougher parts of Lisbon, that that's where he strives. So he went in to those crowds, those rowdy crowds, and he took the blame for for what happened. And you know what? That's a huge result for Dean Nice. It's looking like they're they're growing from it. And you know, oh, hey, they're for tied for fifth right that. now. They're tied for fifth right now, so that looks pretty good. Hey, we've got an interesting question here from Joan Martins. Um, what's your opinion on ownership from billionaires in modern football? Do you think it's better or do you think it should be like most clubs in Portugal and Spain with fans voting on who runs the club? Any one of you want to jump in on, chime in on that one? Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, shout out to João Martins. Uh, me and him go at it in the group chat all the time. He's a diehard Portista, but, you know, it's good to see him on here. My condolences. <laughs> one day, hopefully, it can be good up on the pod. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. But, uh, my opinion on that, um, I mean, it has its pros and cons, uh, definitely. Pros, like pros look at look, look like a Man City, you know? They're elite, elite, elite. Uh, cons or what happened with the super club or the super league, I should say, you know, things like that can happen. There, there's a risk of that. Uh, when you have these investment uh, people going there, they, they might be able to ruin the club. But I mean, I don't know what your opinion is on this, Mitch, but I mean, it has, a, it has its pros and cons, but I would not mind if a billionaire guy even bought sporting. That's, that's <laughs> my opinion on it, but. I think it has to be done very carefully. Uh, it's a great question. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I tend to to like the way that Benfica is set up where, where you've got Benfica Saad and then you've got Sport Lisboa Benfica um, where, where the fans um, basically own 
um, you know, the, the, the lion's share of Benfica Sad. And then you've got, uh, you know, the other part that that can be owned by, you know, the, they're they're basically publicly traded. <clears throat> so you've got um, private investors who can come in and actually, um, you know, buy portions of the team. So the team can benefit from outside investment. Um, and that's kind of where they can get, you know, outside funding. This is where that, this whole thing with John Texter, uh, with, with Benfica, him wanting to come in and buy up. Um, you know, 16 or 17 percent of um, of shares that were um, split between Rei dos Frangos and uh, Luis Felipe Vieira and and some other individuals. Um, and I think in that in that sense, where it's kind of hybrid, where they can you can benefit from the investment, but you're not under their full control and ownership. I think those are the situations where it can be most beneficial because at the end of the day, the teams need sometimes outside investment to, to do different things. You know, as, as these clubs, if you actually look into, you know, the financials of a lot of these clubs, unless they've made a big, big um, sale uh, and, and I'm speaking more specifically to the Portuguese league, unless uh, either Sporting Report or Benfica has sold a big, big name player, they don't usually turn a lot of profit just from their everyday business operations, unless they're selling um, big name players, like for example, when when Befica sold uh, João Felix to, to to Atlético Madrid for a hundred and some million, you know, we actually showed uh, significant profits profits on the financials. So y- you can't really leave it for the team to to be pumping in you know massive profits so that the the club can reinvest. So sometimes you need an outside guy to, to come in. Um, but the 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 worry, of course, is always that that the fans kind of lose lose control or or the sausage lose control. So I think the the that hybrid approach where you know the fans will always own you know the lion's share, but then you can you can bring in outside investment so that the team can 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 benefit from um, from that investment. I think that's the best way to to kind of go about it. So uh, you know, I'll I'll say I I was. I was very, very supportive of Benfica listening to uh, John Texter. Uh, he's he's an investor from the States who's been going around. Uh, he just bought um, a team in Brazil. He's invested in a team in Brazil. I think he bought a team in, I want to say it was Belgium that he he just invested in. So he's he's trying to 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 make some investments strategically into into football, um, and and he was very interested in coming into Benfica. So I you know I think. We need to listen to guys like that, and and uh, I think it opens the door. But I think it has to be done carefully and strategically because I don't think we want to become, um, you know, these. If 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 Portugal all of a sudden had a big a big Saudi investor, for example, buy up a a, a Sporting or a Port, right now I don't think there's the regu- regulatory kind of uh, structure in in Portuguese football to to prevent one team from just spending absurd amount of money to to just completely make it make it so that it's no longer competitive and buying up players well, there's the fair play there's the fifa fair play stuff or you know the which yeah, is also pretty dicey too but it's very dicey man and and you know yeah. already as it is there's a gulf in class between you know a benfica and the and the bolognese yeah uh you know and and okay so what know, if a saudi guy comes in and buys jill vicente sure yeah they <laughs> can do that but unless you're gonna have saudi guys buying up every single team in the league <laughs> it, it still makes it unfair. You're still going to have the one guy who hasn't had yeah. that outside investment and that's sitting there with, you know, a, a, a squad that's worth, you know, the, the, the salary of one player from Benfica. And, and you know, that, that's, that's the risk you run. So I, it's got to be done, uh, I think, very strategically.
At, at the end of the day, I think that if someone wants to come in and, and buy a team, they have the money for it. I mean, look, the investment would be great. I mean, how many times have we been frustrated seeing, you know, we're, you know, with Sporting, you know, oh, you got a good player. Now we got to sell them because we need the money. You know, you develop these guys, you know, and, and it's just like hopes of ever winning, you know, a Champions League or just it's, it's, you know, it's so pie in the sky when you're going up against these giants like Bayern Munich, you know, and, and Manchester United and, and, and Real Madrid, Barcelona, blah, 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 like the list goes on and on and on. The problem with the, the billionaires coming in and the people wanting to come in and buy these teams is you lose that connection to what that team is all about, right? It, it's not just a business. And that's the beauty of sport. It's not just a business. And sometimes it works great. I mean, take a look at uh, Leicester City, right? I mean, they ended up winning a championship. They turned out to be a wonderful situation. Then you take a look at Manchester United and how many times have they, you know, had that that fight between the, the fans and the Glazers, you know? So, so you see that situation happening. I do think that ultimately, if there, like you said, Mitch, if there's a hybrid, if there's a way that you can, you know, you can bring in an outside investor, but you still have some input and some, some, the fans still feel like they're a part of it. That's fine. But having fans have complete control and all that's that's not always the best thing either because fans are too emotional. They don't think outside the box. They don't think what may be best for the club sometimes, you know, they're just thinking with their heart and that that's not always the best thing in business. So there needs to be a little bit of a balance. There definitely needs a little bit more money there in, in Portugal. I think, uh, especially with these teams uh, to, to just try and see some success. So it'll be uh, yeah. great questions. Well, I love yeah, it. Great question. Great question. Um, where were you guys 20 years ago today? 20 years ago. 20 years ago. 20 years ago today, January 23rd, 2002. Where were you guys? I was in college, <laughs> but where were you guys? I was in junior high, man. Yeah, what was that, 10? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. To be honest, I don't remember. I was 10 years old. Uh, that was uh, just before the iconic uh, World Cup of 2002. One of the best Brazilian teams I've ever seen that year. Uh, that's what. After year 1000, year 1002, or uh, World Cup 2002, that's when I truly, truly fell in love with football, and I got that itch. Mm-hmm. But uh, January... Uh, January 23rd. Yeah. 20 years ago today, this guy yeah. right here, Jose Mourinho, took over as head coach of Porto, beginning his long... Uh, his two decades of success in uh, in soccer. Obviously, he had a brief uh, stint in uh, uh, with uh, what was it Stubble? Uh, no, you know, Lady. Oh, he coached. Yeah, you know, Lady. He coached yeah, Benfica and Benfica for a little bit. I mean, thirty-one games total <clears throat> that he coached both those uh, teams. Uh, but then he went to Porto, and that's when he started seeing his success. So, my question to you, Jose Mourinho, greatest of all time. So, uh, um, and, and I'm not going to say greatest of all time in terms of all soccer because uh, I think we can all agree that that's not the case. But Portuguese managers, is he the greatest of all time? I'll let you go, Mitch. I got <laughs> to think. I got to. I got to process. Ah, uh, that's a great question, Kev. I mean, I think we have geez. one person here. Jonathan says overrated coach. Uh 
I, I I don't think he was he's overrated. I think I think you can't call uh, a guy with that kind of resume and what he did overrated. Uh, just just what he did with Porto alone, to me, uh, makes him un unarguably one of the greatest uh, Portuguese coaches of all time. To take a Porto team at that time, um, Porto did not have superstars, man. Uh, when they won the Champions League, I mean, of course, they turned after, into after they turned into yeah. superstars, right? But at the time, you know, it's not like Porto had had a, a budget to go and 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 buy all these players. So just what what Mourinho did with with that Porto squad, and and not only it's not only the Champions League, you won the the UEFA Cup with them, and then the next year you won the Champions League with them, um, and and that team was was phenomenal. It was the right group of players, but. I think he developed a style um, of football that that at the time was was you know really new. A lot of people didn't understand his tactics. Uh, it was really hard to play against him, and um, I don't think you can say that he was underrated, man. He he did amazing things. Um, he trained under the best. I mean, he trained under Bobby Robson at Bar- at Barcelona. I mean, this guy. Um, this guy trained under the best and, and I think he's got a, a, a brilliant mind when it comes to football and tactics. And, and I don't think, um, I don't think he's underrated at all, man. I don't think you can even say underrated and Jose Mourinho in the same breath, uh, just, just solely for what he did at, uh, at Port, um, you know, going forward, you know, then you gotta look at what he did with Chelsea, what he did with Inter. Um, I mean, the, the, the man, you know, I, I think he's done so many great things and i think football has evolved the game has 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 evolved so much that i think his tactics um today have not evolved at the same pace as the game has and i think that's why Mourinho has fell fell kind of fallen back a little bit in some of his previous roles um but it takes nothing away from him i think the game has just evolved so much that his tactics and his just haven't evolved at the same pace um but but i think he's does he have the you know capacity to to, to catch up and get back into that stride i think 100 percent he does i think he's doing a good job at roma um you know and I, I i hope to see him do well there um you know i it was sad uh that it didn't work out at man united because i felt like that was just the the perfect um you know fairy tale kind of story for him to 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 replace kind of the the legendary um you know sir alex role there and and become that 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 legendary figure at at man united such an iconic club i was sad to see that not work out but uh i think going back to billionaire owners i think that that ownership had a lot to do with his his uh his uh you know lack of success there but uh greatest of all time uh in portugal i i, I would have to agree with that greatest of all time in coaches in general I, I think he's in the conversation i think he's probably within the top five um but in port in terms of portuguese coaches i can't think of anybody better than jose Mourinho. I want to good so far this morning. Uh, Roma with a 4 0 lead 43 minutes into their game against Empoli. So uh, looking pretty good today. There's there's one coach that's Portuguese that I'd, I'd put him above. I don't know if you guys agree. Uh, his name's Fernando Santos. Uh, I think <laughs> Fernando. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. In terms of being the, the GOAT, he's easily the GOAT. Uh, Mitch touched up on it earlier. His mentor, uh, you know, Bobby Robson. He was actually his interpreter. So what better way to, to learn tactics and stuff than uh, literally repeating everything uh, 
Robson was saying. But uh, yeah, like he said, uh, he won with Porto, he won the UEFA, and then the next year won the Champions League. Uh, only one other team has ever done that, and it was Liverpool, where they won the, the Europa League, and the next year they won the Champions League. And then uh, another thing that uh, that was huge for him, he uh, beat out one of the greatest teams of all time. I don't think anybody can argue it was uh, Barcelona. They were unstoppable. That was when uh, Tiki Taka was the meta, so to speak. Uh, nobody can stop him. And uh, with Inter, he, uh, he he won against them and he won the Champions League with Inter. That was another huge, huge achievement. Won the treble in Italy. Uh, and not a, and not a, a glamorous team by any no, stretch no, of the no, imagination. No, no. Yeah. Oh, okay, boys. But, here's here, here's here's a good uh, comment here from uh, Joshua Botelho. Just to be devil's advocate, why don't we grant Fernand Sanch the same grace? To simply be outdated because the game has changed, but not take that as a reflection of him as a manager. Christian, the floor is yours. <laughs> <sighs> I, I can't. I don't know. Let's I, zoom into your face just so we can see. You can see the pain in his face right now. Fernando Santos, what what kind of resume does Fernando Santos have? Uh, two he, big championships for the Portuguese national team. Okay, he won, he won the year 2016. Okay. And I, I love him for that, okay? And the Nobel Nations statue League. And the Nations League. But let's be honest here, okay? It's been time. We, we, we digested it. It's ours. We want it. Can you guys honestly say, and I know that's not about, I, really, I could see Kevin about to attack me. Okay, I know, I understand it's about winning. I get it. It's, it's the main goal. You go in there to win. But we didn't play lavish football. And I know that's not what it's about. Who cares? We got a little bit, we got a little bit lucky. Okay, let's call it out. It's neither did Inter uh, when Mourinho yeah. won the Champions League. Yes, yes. Just, we, just... Uh, who we got, let's, let's call a spade a spade, like Mitch likes to say. You know, uh, we got third place that tournament without a single win. I know that's not what it's about, Kevin. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's about, but we didn't play glamorous football. I'll give him this in the Nations League, we played beautiful soccer, we did do good, but other than that. I'm not convinced anymore. Like we have this pool of talent without going on a huge tangent. I'll wrap it up quick, but we're not grasping our players. We're not using the most for players. He was a good coach for what we had in 2016. Grinded out defensive. I don't think he's a good coach to play a free flowing, attacking, beautiful soccer. That's, that's just, that's just my opinion on it without going on a huge rant. I, I mean, um, we've been we've been notoriously harsh on on Fernand Sanz, um on this podcast, and and I think the the reason for that is because you know we see, um, you know, a man whose whose um, <coughs> tactics um, just no longer serve the pool of talent that that Arsenal has. Um, but to to Joshua's point, um, you, you can't you can't um, deny the man's um, greatness in his own way and what he's achieved um, with with all three clubs in Portugal and and with our Um, You know, there's no doubt that when you're talking about the greatest of all time, uh, Christian made a joke of it, but um, for what he's achieved. He's got to be in the conversation of the greatest of all time for Portuguese coaches. He has to. 
um, no matter what we think of him today for what he was able to achieve, he may not be the right coach for Portugal today. That's not to say, um, I don't know, Christian, and none of us know with a different coach, would we have won the Euro? Mm -hmm. Had a coach come in there and decided to play all out attacking freestyle football, would we have won the Euro in 2016 with the team that we had? I don't know. A thousand that we would have. percent. Yeah, so thousand percent. I think he was the right coach for Portugal exactly. at that time with the with the group of players that we had. And I think you take nothing away from the man because that when you look at how Portugal won the Euro, it was we tactically won it. I mean, I've rewatched the Portugal France game. I don't know how many times, and I I am just in awe every time I watch that game at the tactics that he implemented at every single phase of the game. When Ronaldo left, the changes he made throughout the game, the way he switched things, the way he's played certain players in certain positions. And then in, in, um, in the Nations League final, it was the same thing. I rewatched that game against Holland, I don't know how many times, and, and we talked so much shit about William Carvalho and, and whatnot, but in that game against Holland, the way that he utilized William Carvalho in his role to shut, to, to, to high-press Holland so that they could never do, break out pass. It, it was it was tactical brilliance. It was genius. So I mean, to to, to Joshua's point, um, Fransen deserves his own his own spotlight. And and you know, just because he's not, we don't feel he's the right porch, uh, coach for Portugal today with the crop of players that we have. It takes nothing away from what the man has done in his well, past. And I think and he that's... absolutely is one of the greatest of all time, uh, just for what he he's been able to achieve. And that's exactly it. Had Fernand Sanchez walked away two years ago, none of us would be talking like this about him. No. We'd all be like, he's the greatest of all time. He's unbelievable. Da, 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 da. He's overstayed his welcome, and that's kind of soured people on him. But don't let that tarnish his his past and his reputation and and what he's accomplished. Because you're right, uh, Fernand Sanchez has been um, is definitely uh, there, there's there. a saying: you either die die soon enough to be the hero, or you live long enough to be the villain. And and no, you gotta no. know you gotta know when, wise words. You know you gotta know when to you know when to step down. And I think he missed he missed that opportunity, and now he's unfortunately kind of become that villain. There's yeah, that other saying: I, you know, I know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> you gotta know when to fold yeah, them. Saying, it's karaoke night with uh, Christian. Here we go. <laughs> no, but yeah, honestly, you hit the nail right on the head, and I, that's what I mentioned earlier. Whereas he was the right coach for the team we had in 2016. To instill that you know belief that Gaga to be the underdogs, I just take nothing away from him. He's a legend. He is one of the greatest Portuguese coaches of all time for what he what he did. Take zero away from him. And he'll always, always, always be a part of our history, and rightfully so. But where we are now, I'm going to reiterate: with the pool of talent, when it comes time for us not to be the underdogs anymore, to to go and take it to them. I'm sorry, uh, he's not that guy. He's not so, that guy. So, so we're we're almost up against the clock here, but I'm going to throw one more question. Um, Jose Mourinho, uh, Fernando Sanchez leaves Portugal. Would you consider Jose Mourinho as a replacement, as a swan song for his career, or has the game just passed him by so much that it's just not going to work? Personally, as uh, years ago, if you would have asked me 15 years ago. Maybe even 10 years ago, I would have said, yeah, I'd love to see Jose Mourinho with the national team. You ask me now, no, the game has changed too much. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's the right person for the job anymore. But Fernand Sanch, he leaves at the end of this World Cup qualifying campaign. 
would you consider Jose Mourinho if he was interested? I uh, I 100% would take him. And uh, Mitch, before you say anything, I think if there's ever a coach to sit Ronaldo and make you smile, it's him. <laughs> he is, he, he'll think joints, man. He'll, he'll, he'll be the guy to, to make those tough decisions. Although, you know what I feel about that? I don't think it's his time to do that yet, personally, but whatever. He, he would be uh, that guy to make those tough decisions. And I do personally think he would do uh, really well for us. And you also got to remember that he's a Portuguese icon. Him going into a team with, like, Manchester United, they might rub people the wrong way. But on Portugal, they call this is Real Mourinho. You know what I mean? He'll have that extra respect level, and he may be able to, you know, bring back the Mourinho bowl, to speak, so to speak. I think he would do great. I could be wrong, but I personally would, would take Jose Mourinho. Mitch? Sure. Um, I would not take Jose Mourinho as long as Cristiano Ronaldo was still playing for this lesson because I okay. think they have two two big of egos, and I think we've we seen what happened at Real Madrid at the tail end <laughs> of his, his time there, and I just the 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 Slesson, you know the the importance of a, a good healthy locker room in the Slesson is so important and i think there's too much risk of of uh clash of heads between of clash of egos uh between Mourinho and Ronaldo at this especially at this stage in Ronaldo's career and Mourinho's um that it's just it, it would not i don't think it would be a good um uh, a good a good fit until until Ronaldo retires. Okay, so let's say let's say uh Ronaldo says after the, you know let's say Portugal fails to qualify for the World Cup. Fran Sanchez is done. Uh I think we can all agree with that. Uh Cristiano Ronaldo maybe he retires from international play. You know at that point. I think 2024 let's just say he retires from international play. So then if Ronaldo's out of the picture, you're saying you would consider Jose Mourinho if he was interested? Uh, absolutely, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, why why wouldn't you? I mean, a guy a guy that I, I think the game's I think the game has passed him by. I I don't think I think he can give you a quick short-term burst, but that's about it. He's the type of guy that, you know what, I would consider bringing him in if you know, if if Portugal had fired Fran Sanch halfway through this World Cup qualifying campaign, maybe bring him in just to kind of shake things up. For that interim, sure, maybe. But as a permanent replacement for Fernand Sanch, no. I think you need to start looking to the new generation. You need to start looking for someone who... The problem with that is, Kev, as much as I agree with you there, it's very tough to get one of these new-aged coaches into coaches lesson at this point yeah, in their career. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 very much a, an older, an older, you know, senior kind of um, position because you're not, you're not getting that, that, you know, week in, week out action. Um, so it's very, it's very difficult to get that young minded coach. Um, as much as I'd love to see somebody like a Ruben Amorim or even a Sergio Conceição, um, you know, at the helm of the Slesson, I, I just, the, 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 the probability and the reality of it is, is, is probably not, not very, uh, you know, it's not very realistic at this point in time. So a guy like Jose Mourinho would, would, um, you know, would be kind of that older coach. But I think, again, and I mentioned this earlier, I think even though I do feel the game has, has kind of outpaced 
his his tactical mind a little bit. I, I I still believe that he has the ability to catch up, and and I think he just needs time with a a, a club, and he needs he needs ownership to give him some some patience. Uh, I was really worried that he was going to get sacked before Christmas with Roma yeah. because he had a couple of of a series of bad results, and I was honestly for his sake, I was hoping that that the ownership gave him some time because you know I you can't you can't ever doubt a tactical genius mind like that you just got to sometimes give him a little bit of time to 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 get his bearings um so to to that point man i think i would welcome him in this lesson because honestly who who the hell else are you gonna get you know there there's there's very few guys you know andre village boys eh, you know uh maybe uh somebody like that um but you know, uh, if 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 it ever came down to Andre Village Boys, Nun Spiritsant, or Jose Mourinho, who are you going to choose? Jose Mourinho all day. I mean, I don't or if Nun Sun sticks around till 2024. Uh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> j- j- just to, to add on, if I can, real quick, I know we're, we're uh, yeah. against the clock here, but um, to sort of be on Mourinho's side a little bit, play devil's advocate, yeah, his uh, time has sort of passed him, but in a way, he never was given a full uh, full chance on his team. Like, even with United, he uh, he wasn't given a fair shake, in my opinion. Uh, he was already coming out and saying that uh, Luke Shaw wasn't, uh, you know, good enough. They needed another left back. Uh, he was saying that getting second place was Manchester United's biggest achievement, or his biggest achievement at, at uh, Manchester United. Uh, he was talking about Bisaka. He was talking about all these things that we're seeing that are true. He was talking about Pogba, saying that uh, he was a little bit toxic in his own way. He was saying that he cares more about cars than his team. And it's coming out in the news that, you know, he's on his way out, that he's toxic. Luke Shaw's bench. Like, all these things that he was implementing and people were against him for and sort of went against him and made him the, the bad guy. And they they shot him away or come to fruition right now. Uh, Tottenham, the Bergwan, he brought in Bergwan, was one of his main pickups. They, you've seen what he did on the weekend. So... He, to be fair to him, he we, uh, these coaches live in a time where they have such a small window of success, and if they have like a three or four bad results, he's out the window. I feel like a coach, they do need a little bit of time. They need a little bit, a few years to grow, to add their identity, to add their players to the team. And I know, I know, Mourinho shoots himself in the foot sometimes, but at the same time, he wasn't uh, given a fair shake. And I think Roma. This is a good team for him because I think that they will uh, give him yeah. a fair shake there. And and it's looking, they're doing pretty good right now. I, I think that had Jose Mourinho taken over Manchester United when Sir Alex left, instead of going to David Moyes and Louis van Gaal and so forth, I think yeah. it would have been a different success rate at Manchester United. Boys, we're up against the clock here. Uh, as always, a wonderful conversation. Uh, it was uh, a lot of good input. Thank you all so much for watching, throwing in your questions. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Porto taking on family count today. Will Porto drop points or will they be six points uh, up going into the next round in Liga de Portugal? We will have much more to talk about this in our next podcast. Christian, Mitch, I'm Kevin. Thanks for tuning in to the Tuca, the Everything Portuguese Soccer Podcast by the fans, for the fans. Thanks as always for tuning in.